Welcome to the fourth episode of a special Both Sides TV. It's special because you're going to have to see me sniffle through it. I apologize <laughs> a little bit. And my guest today is Nanea Reeves, Hello. who is the president of Next Plus. Next Plus, formerly Text Plus. Formerly Text Plus. So you just changed a letter. We did. And I like that it starts with an N. Yes. Uh, okay. So obviously you chose the brand. No, no, no. no. We're thinking about it. Uh, and just disclosure before we start, I'm an investor you and are. I'm on the board. Um, but what I wanted to talk today to you about is leadership. Okay. Let's start with simple things. You started how long ago at Next Plus? I started January 2014. Jan January 2014, so just over six months. Mm -hmm. And your title is president. Correct. Uh, I presume there's still a CEO? There is a CEO, Scott Lehman. Why would a company have a CEO and a president? What is the difference? Well, I think that uh, prior to my arrival, Scott was focused too much on operational and not spending enough time being outward facing to the company. Yeah. We have a, a history from working together at Jamdat. I think this is the third time I've actually reported into Scott. Yeah. He swears one day we're going to flip the roles. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, you know, when he reached out to me, it was specifically to come in and run product engineering all the operations. <coughs> So Intex Plus, Next Plus is primarily a product uh, development organization. Now, I am fairly famously on record as saying one of the biggest fudges mm -hmm. that startups make is when they start, they have a CEO, a president, and a COO. Right. And the reason <clears throat> they often do that is three friends start a company <laughs> and Right, the three they amigos. All, yeah, and they, and, they, and they sort of feel bad about it. They right. sort of feel like, well, if I'm going to take the CEO, you can be president. Right, right. And I think in most companies, it's a big mistake. Now, I was heavily involved not only in recruiting you, but mm -hmm. in wanting this role to exist. And the way I would describe it, Nana, is that there are times, I mean, how many people now work at Next Plus? We have about a uh, little over 60, about 62. 60 people, we have millions of users, millions mm -hmm. of revenue, we've raised millions of venture capital. Right. There does become a moment where the outside activities of business development, of dealing with, there are four major VCs on the board, yeah. of setting corporate strategy, um, and of focusing on revenue end up... Um, distracting you from daily operations. So in some ways, you get to run daily operations. Is that fair? I'm pretty much running day to day. Right. Um, the thing that was most important about bringing you on board was a need to get product under control. Let's Correct. talk about product management. You've managed product across many companies. Many and, companies. And yeah. engineering. Some, and we can talk about these in a moment, but uh, you worked at EA, at Gaikai, at Chamdat, at Machinima, mm -hmm. at eToys. You have a lot of experience. What have you learned about product management that you can pass along to people? I think your decisions really need to be made first and foremost on what's going to be the best user experience. And I think ultimately, if you make that decision, it'll end up being a good business decision. I think where people get out of whack when they try to figure out what to make is if they're technically oriented, they'll base the what on the how and how they can get there. And I think oftentimes the user experience or the product itself will suffer. Right. 
right. or you overlay too much of your own corporate business goals onto the product experience without enough consideration for, well, somebody actually really want to use this product. How do you solve the issue about, first of all, having good customer feedback right. so that you can use that in design, but also the belief that the most trailblazing product people of our era are defining the product that needs to exist rather than necessarily taking views from customers. Steve Jobs famously mm -hmm. inventing the uh, let's say even the iPad, where most people, when it first came out, said it's just a big I iPhone. You know? Right. Well, I'm not Steve Jobs, so mm -hmm. I think yeah. there are very yeah. few yeah. Of, of him out there. I like to just get something up and running very quickly yeah. and start to collect feedback. So putting the data hooks in place to, you know, if you think about it, it's a two-way conversation with the customer. And I've seen variants with real data uh, coming in based on how people go through your product and uh -huh. and click path data versus what they'll t even tell you in a focus group. Right. So you really have to have that balance of qualitative and quantitative data. Yep. And the best way to get it is to just launch something very quickly. So Obviously, like, software development, you can do that. It sounds like you're a proponent of the lean startup. I am very much, yeah. Build a product, build in data hooks, measure things, and make decisions based on Yep, and, and you can course correct along the way, right? So you can test your assumptions, validate them, but sometimes you'll get data back that might lead you to an even better idea. So David Sachs, who founded uh, Genie and then Yammer, mm -hmm. before that was the COO of PayPal, famously said this past week, uh, he reminded everyone of the quote that a camel is a horse designed by committee. <laughs> That's funny. I and like that. <laughs> he said that the best product organizations are run by dictators. Mm -hmm. And at best, you could hope for them to be benevolent dictators. Okay. But where you make compromises, you always end up with suboptimal products. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I agree there's something to that. I mean, to be a really good product person at the end of the day, you have to balance. Uh, the data, the technical path to delivery with your own gut. And the best question I ask myself is, would anybody even really want to use this? What makes it fun? And I think if you look at some of the shortcomings of our, our previous product, and we are rebuilding, hence the next plus, because right. you know we're expanding beyond text, is constantly asking that question of how do we surprise and delight the customer. And it was something Mitch Lasky used to talk about a lot at Jamdat that we want to surprise and delight that, that, that person when they pick up your product or pick up the game. So talking specifically about Text Plus, and we'll try to re weave sure. in some product lessons here. Right. Text Plus launched almost contemporaneously with a company called WhatsApp. Right. Um, they seem to have done okay. Mm-hmm. And while Text Plus has millions of active users and has done well, it's certainly not WhatsApp. Right. Um, <clears throat> I would diagnose, because you weren't there at the time, I was there through much of it, right. that most of our missteps came from lack of product quality. I agree. And they had a maniacal focus about performance and usability and simplicity, whilst we built in too much complexity, tried to handle too many use cases, 
And they then, being WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah. And, and that's really, I think, what differentiated them from yep. everyone in the market. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just us. What are you trying to do different now? I mean, WhatsApp exists. You're not going to displace WhatsApp. What is the t what is the move from T to N, and why, and who do we serve? I think there's uh, an opportunity for us to disrupt in voice and innovate in voice. Okay. We've been um, early to market with our voice product, voice over Wi-Fi specifically. And then also the fact that we are supporting a class of customer that is not currently supported by the carrier, whether they're too young or they're, you know, don't have the, the cash flow to have a carrier contract. And so we've really found a, it, whether it was by accident or by design, we've been performing this act of allowing people without cell phone contracts to text anyone, uh, not just somebody having the app. And now they can do the same with calling. So when you layer that on, one, you have to just get basic plumbing in place and, and make sure it's a good quality of service. Because there's a lot of responsibility if you want to be someone's mobile <coughs> operator in the cloud, as it were. But I also think there's a lot of cool things that we can do with, how do you call? What's the new version of voicemail? And you know, take a lot of our game industry DNA that we have in spades in the company right. and start to apply it you know, to what it means to be a phone company. So maybe making voice fun? Making voice fun, I right. think, would be good. Do you know? We certainly can do it. We're probably much more hardened on our voice platform than a lot of other people starting to move in that arena. It's not an easy thing to deploy and, and support. Um, we, as a company, Next Plus, mm -hmm. you mentioned one of the value propositions is being able to text anyone, whether right. it's smartphone, not smartphone, right. iOS, Android. <clears throat> um, so integration with carriers. And the second is similar on voice, because there's other products out there, whether it's Skype or Viber, that mm -hmm. allow you to make voice calls. Like, how do you differentiate from Skype or Viber? Mm, I'm not going to give away all the okay. crown you jewels just to. yet. But. But, but, but I guess at the basic level, it also allows you to operate off of Wi-Fi and call other people at the high level. At the highest level. OK, yeah. I promise not to give anything else away. So you came into this organization, and how did you goal set? I mean, how do you take over a team that exists and that has been directed by other people? You know, it's been probably one of the most fun experiences I've had in my working career. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's certainly a challenge. You, you gave me a lot to, uh, to turn around. I think for um, one of probably the best aspects of it is that I've worked with the founders. You know, we have a long working relationship. Yeah. So I got to jump in, and um, there, I didn't have to build trust, you know, which normally would take maybe ninety to you know three to four months to yeah. do that. Anybody, no matter what your track record is, yeah. entering into a new team. So I didn't have to do that. I could hit the ground running, and I think that was a huge advantage. There was you know immediate trust okay. and a built-in relationship. You know, there. I listened to a lot of what people felt was the problem, and I think that's something that female leaders, you know, can really add to a management team is decision making by building consensus. Okay. And so part of that is just allowing people to be heard. And okay. I get your dictator side of it, though. <laughs> I think that's important too. Yeah. 
Um, at some, and I was very clear up front. I said, I want to hear everyone's point of view on what we should do, and then I'm going to make a decision. So, so rather than be overly gender specific, um, one attribute I think you're pointing out is that perhaps women are more consensus driven, and that as provided that people are heard, and provided that they feel like they have a voice and you've listened to everybody, then you step in with a strong decision that yep. may or may not meet everyone's needs. It's a well-balanced, or at least you hear the vocal minority. Okay. And there is a lot of data that says after the 2008 downturn, the, the companies who had you know well-balanced, gender-balanced board of directors experienced quicker turnaround. So I don't know if that was part of the contribution or not. I think pro uh, some of the problem that one of the problems I see is though that women don't orient their careers into positions of power. Okay. You know, you look at any management team, you know, blue shirt gallery, yeah. and there'll be the females in marketing and HR, right. which, you know, at the end of the day are not the most power, you know, position that you can be in on right. a management team, marketing first place that gets cut, <clears throat> obviously HR more of a support mechanism. And so, not that anything's wrong with no, people no, who no, choose no. careers no, in no. marketing. No, no, they're great but, avenues but for in advancement. A, in a startup, the right. most powerful roles are product, yep. engineering. That's right. Sometimes marketing can be. It depends on the company. It depends on the company. Depends sure. on the company and the situation. But usually, product and engineering are two of the strongest, most important roles. You know, sometimes you know, as companies get bigger, business development, strategy, sales. Right. But certainly product and engineering, and you're taking on both of those. Right. And, and this is not your first rodeo. You've run no, engineering before. I have. And, you know, so I saw that. I started off in marketing, and I actually had someone mentor me right. specifically to move into more strategic roles. So it's something that I've, I've shared. I have seen recently a lot of um, very powerful uh, marketing people emerge from owning P&L right. through digital distribution. You definitely see that at, at um, movie and entertainment companies right. happening as, you know, because distribution usually was happening as a side thing that marketing did. But it's unfortunate I'm also seeing that, that P&L get taken by the chief digital officer oh, okay. who's coming in to run the business. So you right. see that trend starting to happen. So gotcha. I think you have to really think about how do you really are your efforts making more of a contribution to the company? I read the most wonderful piece um, recently. It was a sketch cartoon written by a woman, mm -hmm. happens to be a lesbian, mm -hmm. about, and I don't even remember who it was, or even if she said who it was, it was just making the rounds two weeks ago, um, about really small, unintentional bias against women in technology teams. Mm. And she walks through all the cases of where working with her male workers, often she doesn't get as challenging of projects and they don't push her as hard. And you know she finds that when they want to go to peer groups, they tend to ask men instead of asking her. Mm. And uh, I don't know the extent to which that's true or not, but it was making the rounds and it really had a profound impact to me. What, <clears throat> what advice would you have for men on well. how to how to better interact with women in a startup organization. And, you know, I guess I would say this, Nanea, in a world where we've had several high-profile incidences across many companies over the last six weeks mm -hmm. of 
uh, accusations of either misogyny, abuse, uh, mistreatment? Going back to, I'd love to read that article. I do think probably early on in my career, I, I was hyper-focused on what opportunities were not being given to me. Yeah. And once I put my attention on what I could do better, yeah. and understanding that maybe I can't change the gender bias, but I can certainly get the men in the room to <clears throat> see me as an exception okay. if they had the bias. How do you do that? When I did it with data. So for me, because if I presented an idea and it got dismissed because I presented it, and some of it was also I was young at the time too, right. the, um, I could use the data to validate you know, my idea. Right. And so it also got people comfortable with the fact that I was going to do a test mm -hmm. and said, let me do the test. So they would see me take initiative and want to prove it out and deliver quickly on that initial concept to prove it out. So it, it, it just builds confidence. But I think that most people, whether they're men or women, should do that. I yes. don't think it's definitely a, a gender thing. So when I started to really look at how I could be more strategic, start having a reputation of delivering things, you know, and delivering things that were focused toward contribution to the business, I never really encountered a lot of those biases. Okay. You know, I mean, I mean maybe at a conference at 10 o'clock at night when people are a little drunk. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, so we won't go there. Yeah. We won't go there. Um, and I had no intent of making this a let's talk about gender issues sure. for an hour. Um, I would just say from my observation, and we'll move on, is even in my earliest meetings with you, you have a very strong communication style. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helps. I think you express a sense of confidence, of knowledge of the topic that you're taking on, and a willingness to take on other people. Mm. And I think um, I appreciate you, that. May, you may be, and, and, and you do it in a very charming way, like uh, <laughs> with a smile on your face. Um, but I don't think you back down from team-based issues and you stand up and you project confidence. And you don't perceive that as being necessarily something you see in other women that frequently? Um, again, I don't want to be overly gender biased or specific, mm -hmm. but um, I guess the traits most often associated with women is, um, well, let me say the bad traits associated with men mm -hmm. that end up sometimes helping men. Um, being willing to be the loudest in the room, yep. being willing to take credit for lots of things, whether they had right. achieved it or not, right. having very strong opinions, sometimes without the facts to support it, but being confident in their assertions and willingness to support it. Um, I have always found men to be quicker to raise their hand and ask for pay increases and promotions. Oh, and yeah, most definitely. And, uh, I mean... I would say it this way is men are more conflict driven and women are more resolution oriented. Mm -hmm. And I push absolutely every team I'm involved with to have gender balance. Mm -hmm. And I think both communication styles are incredibly important to have on your team. Yeah, I agree. And so I would just say that, that the, um, if you want to get ahead, you've both got in life, you've both got to ask for it and you've got to take the openings when they come. And sometimes you have to, you know, break eggs a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, you know, I've been taught how to 
lead and, and manage by men for the most part. So one of the things that I've tried to do is make sure I'm mentoring women yeah. with the same data points. And, it, you know, really, I think probably the biggest shift for me was when I learned that if I played it like a game, yeah. and obviously the goal of any game is to win the game, yeah. uh, and, and that you can love that, you know, challenge, uh, even of an opponent's move against you, and you go, yeah. God, they got yeah. me. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that relish of not taking it personally, and and you le I learned that from playing video games. You know, I, have to, I have to tell you, and we'll come to video games, but mm -hmm. that's a really important point because I've often told startup, like as my advice, startup people, that you have to abstract yourself away from it being your life in right, a way. Right. And you almost have to treat it like a game. And here, here's what I mean is, you wake up with six weeks cash in the bank, uh -huh. and yet you're signing up new customers, uh -huh. you're projecting a strong face for all of your work colleagues, you kind of think investors aren't going to screw you and give you money. Right. And you can't <laughs> just come in every day and wear your neuroses on your sleeve. Indeed. You know? yeah. The only way I could exist was to abstract myself from it and say, this is all a game. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm going to work my way through this, and I'm pretty sure I can level up. And, and maybe I'll, I'll land on Park Place and Boardwalk, right. and we can do a side deal. And, and if I have to, yeah. well, go to jail is probably a bad metaphor. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but if <laughs> Free I, parking better. Yeah, I don't know if I get slimed, and therefore I'm like yeah. woozy for a moment. Like, I'll just work through well, it. Well, it's that leveling up. And, you know, the thing, you know, going back to the video game thing. Yeah. Part of Zach and I were just talking about this the other day when you Zach designed being one Zach of the Norman, of one of the Next founders. Plus. Yeah, thank you, and Jamdat as mm -hmm. well. And he formerly was a game designer at Activision and yeah. had done some great games. And we were talking about when you build a game, you create win criteria and lose criteria. Right. And the lose criteria, the game is more weighted with. And part of the process of winning is losing over and over, right, right. accumulating knowledge. Yeah. You kind of go, Ed, oh. Edge of Tomorrow, have you seen it? No. It's such a good is movie. Is it good? Yeah. I've heard I've it's heard basically, it's, right it's, it's, a, it's a movie with a video game metaphor because he keeps dying. I know. I want to respawn in life, you know? I took There's my no voice. undo. It was, it was, it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> That's movie. That's awesome. And, and I generally don't like Tom Cruise movies. Um, and but, you also learn that when you play sports. And yeah, so right. I think a That's lot a of times, you know, going back to the gender topic, Little girls don't learn these these qualities right. of, of teammanship, and they don't play. A lot of them don't play video games and get that muscle developed of incremental learning, right. you know, based on failure. And so you get even though you outperformed the boy next to you in school, you show up to work without a playbook. Okay. And the work environment has been defined by men who grew up like this. Yeah. So it behooves us to get ourselves into positions of power where we can actually change some of the game being played so it is more well-balanced yeah. and we can bring some of the You know, I, I always say out. this, like we're all shaped by our own experiences in my household, and I write about this a lot publicly, the dominant character was my mom. Ah, my yeah. mom was an entrepreneur, my mom planned everything, uh -huh. my mom was like take charge, my right. mom was conflict oriented and you know all of life's little parables that you that you learn came from my mom. Uh, one I famously talked about is you don't ask you don't get. Mm -hmm. And my mom was not that wallflower. My mom was one who's like she was in there negotiating. I'm going to get X on behalf of her family. Probably was what motivated her, right? Yeah, very possible. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. it's just character. You yeah. know, like you're just born with that trait. And 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 um, my wife has a term for it. She calls it IJ. Uh, IJ stands for inner Jew. 
<laughs> and, uh, I'm totally just, stealing that. I will just, I will just say Can that. Can a shiksa steal that? Yes. I don't know. Will I yeah. get away with so it? My, my wife is Jewish. Okay. Meaning she's not Jewish. Uh, but we're raising I'm a step Jew. Okay. She, she's, uh, she's right. We're raising our kids Jewish. And uh, my son went into a, um, a place to get cake. And they were sitting down together, and he wanted a chocolate cake that wasn't already sliced. And there were many that were sliced. Mm -hmm. And my wife said, well, you can't have that one. It's not sliced. He says, well, why don't you ask? And she said, yeah, but Jacob, like, there's all these sliced cakes. And he says, but I want that one. Mm. Can I ask? And she said, yeah, you can ask. So call, call the lady over, and my son says, well, I would like that cake, a slice of that. Is that okay? And the lady said, sure. My wife just wouldn't have asked. Right. And that that's what my wife calls IJ. Like, you know, the yeah. willingness to always ask. You have to ask. Yeah. You don't get it if you don't ask. And, 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 and of course, many religions are like that, you know, but... Uh, but well, and I think that is a big contributor as to why women don't make as much as men. I, I've sat on yeah. the other side of the table with a budget yeah. and a salary range. And no matter what gender you are, I start off low. Yep. Yeah. And with giving me some headroom. And if you yeah. accept the first offer... Yeah. You know, they've calculated adds up to about $650,000 over a lifetime career, you know, right. at the fifty dollars to $60,000 salary range. Right. So it's significant money that you leave on the table. There are some great lessons to be learned. I'm so happy to see uh, a strong female leader at a tech company in L.A. Uh -huh. that I get the opportunity to work with. That's I mean, awesome. I, Thank you. I work with several other. I don't know if you know Karen Nortman. Who, uh -uh. She runs a company called PSXO. Um, but it's wonderful, and I just hope that um, many other women can learn from you and be mentored by you. And I don't want any more of this to be about women because okay. you have yeah, yeah, so many sure. leadership traits that I want people more broadly to understand. But thank you for allowing us that diversion. You got it. Engineering, how in your mind do you manage engineers differently than you manage product managers? Well, I think if you think of them as separate organizations you're going to set up a, a battlefield okay and uh, so one of the things that we've done successfully over the last few months that we've been building out the new platform at next plus is to create feature teams so you have engineering product project uh, all working together okay. and defining uh, you know I set up one working on improving the existing product another one working on voice for the next product and, and messaging for the next product, right. three separate teams. And then we have a fourth team we've just started up building out the data environment. Okay. And so at some point they'll all start to move from one to the other so they get exposure. That convergence is already starting to happen. Right. I think it's really important because an engineer will make business decisions along the way and they're not even aware of it. Okay. For instance, hard coding a dollar sign in a product pretty much ensures you'll never be a global company. Right. They, you know, it sounds absurd to think somebody would do that, but it certainly happens at startups when people are in the rush to get something out the door. Right. And that person may have moved on and you don't realize, wow, to unravel this decision is a complete re-architecting right. of the product. So it's important that they um, be exposed to what the goals are of okay. the product at any given term and uh, time and uh, that they understand strategically what we're trying to accomplish from a product standpoint too. One of the tools, Nanea, that I always used was we required our engineers to go on customer visits. Mm. It, it's um, it's a, a great bit, idea. It, it's a bit like uh, 
Hatfield and McCoy or Arab-Israeli conflict, when you don't know the other person, you imagine all this stuff about them, and then you sit in a room and you realize, okay, we're all the same. Uh, I found when engineers don't get in front of customers, mm -hmm. they have this archetype customer mm -hmm. in mind, and then they get out and meet them, and they're like, oh, wow, you, you actually want to do X, right? right? And you take more ownership for it. So right. I feel like it's incredibly important to turn the organization inside out. Um, you know, we also had a lot of people take customer service calls. Oh, you know, yeah. You're designing yeah. products, but you're not hearing I've what people I've done that. At eToys, we did that for sure. Um, but let me say this. Um, <clears throat> as someone who developed software and was a product manager in the 1990s before agile development, we had Waterfall. Right. The idea was you had marketing that would talk to customers. They would look at competition. They would create a bunch of specs. They would throw them over the fence, received by a product manager who would chunk it up and create work packages mm -hmm. and prioritize work who would throw it over the fence to coding, who would build it, who would throw it over the fence to testing, who would make sure it would work. And then when it was completed, you throw it over the fence to operations and support who actually have to support it. By the time you're five levels down, you're yeah, five levels in the organization. hate. Yeah, and, you yeah. have, <laughs> and, you, and you have no ownership for right. the decisions that were made. Right. I think modern development has done a very good job, and I'd like you to talk about how you think about this. And you, feel free to disagree with anything yeah, I say. Yeah, sure. But modern software design where you actually get even your tech ops team involved in product decisions you're mm -hmm. making at the customer level. Yep. And as a group, they have to make group decisions mm -hmm. that can be supported all the way throughout the process. Yeah, I think probably one of the worst team dynamics is that finger pointing that happens and the lack of um, willingness to take responsibility. So one of the things that I always do when I come in is say, I'm taking responsibility for the quality mm -hmm. uh, overall. And so if we fail, it's, it's on me. Right. So that means they have an accountability to that, you know, to help me be successful and right. all of us, obviously. And they can't, you know, throw someone else under the bus by not bringing up a mistake that they're seeing, but right. because it's not in their scope. And you see that all over the place. And it can happen in Agile, it can happen in Scrum and, you know, all the different methods out there now. People can use it to hide out and not be accountable. Right. So I like um, a sense of, you know, when you do your morning stand-up, rather than saying this is what we did yesterday, this is what we do today, this is what we accomplished yesterday, this right. is what we're going to accomplish today. So everybody has a sense of contribution. And I think one of the most exciting things in technology orgs right now, and you mentioned it, is that DevOps role. Right. Right. So that IT becomes more involved in engineering, decision-making. We're figuring out the deployment process early on in product and the same thing with data instrumentation a lot of people go hey how many people you know clicked on that and i didn't know you wanted me to track that if right. so if you think about the data hooking early on as part of product development as well you know you can solve that problem because you can't retrieve data you don't insert right if i involve devops and if i involve testers mm -hmm. and programmers and architects and PMs, product yep. managers, how do I avoid building a camel? That's a challenge for sure. And I mean, we've struggled with that. Uh, you see many companies struggle with it. Uh, I like breaking it down into smaller chunks. And it's something, you know, we see, uh, we've heard Bezos talk about in Amazon of these pizza teams. Yep. And I saw Motorola do something similar where they would take 
you know, people who were just working the grind day to day and put them on these tiger innovation teams to develop new technology. I like that way of working where it's a smaller, well-balanced team with the DevOps, with a data person. And so you end up <coughs> feature with, teams. Yeah, a reduced set of features, mm -hmm. but the team becomes responsible for the outcome. Right, and so also when they move on to another project and they might go intact or split up, there's a transference of knowledge. It becomes cumulative. So let's talk about team management. Mm -hmm. I know that, uh, I mean, first of all, we should say our head of engineering is also a woman. She which is, is she came unique. from Gabriella. Yeah, Poxo, I think I'm saying her. She po po she's a, got one of those crazy, too many consonants yeah, no vowels in her name, but she came from Skype. I know very well just to say her first name. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and our head of monetization is also a female. That's true. Right. Um, and, and by the way, these happened before you joined. They so it did. Was, it was, they did. Uh, it was a friendly it was a culture. Nice, nice coincidence. Yep. But um, organizationally, you have engineering people who tend to be super technical that want to be involved with setting standards and making architectural choices and choosing what the future tools ought to be. And you, oftentimes those people are not very good at people management. They're True. not good at scope management. They're not good at Gantt charts and prioritizations. And then you have those people who are very good at planning, mm -hmm. who are technical, but they're not maybe going to figure out whether or not you, know, you ought to use the next latest tool. How do you think about the different team members and how to run an engineering team? I like to, um, I, well, I think this is something that you know gets developed over time. You start to understand where things are you know, consistently going to go wrong. And um, so there are always areas that you can assume are not going to work out. And so I'm always looking at it through that bias when I'm listening to a recommendation from someone. And then I try to look at what's their, you know, I try to intuit what's their personal agenda here. Right. And I'm not assuming that they're all lying, but you know, that they're really driven by their own agenda and then take that into consideration. So every team is unique. I personally prefer product managers who were former engineers, and same with project managers. I okay. prefer technical project managers. So we're all speaking a common language on the right. how, and there's also an understanding of phasing that you don't normally get if you're not technical. So you might be able to deliver on that same business goal yeah. in a much shorter path. Um, that will accomplish the same thing. So there has to be an understanding of the how. You talked before we got on camera about the role video games played in mm -hmm. your life. Mm -hmm. uh, you learned a lot from that, and that's what led you to have a tech career. Talk a little bit about video game as a metaphor for business, for life, yeah. for what you learned and how you got into it. Yeah, well, you know, you can't, over time, at least when I started gaming, uh, you know, it was even before the web, you right. know, so I was going on to IRCs to find out how to do certain things right. and rally, you know, the troops to, you know, uh, finish a game mm -hmm. and find out how to complete it. Uh, and then when online... There were no YouTube cheat guides? No, there weren't, <laughs> you know, which is what, That's what, what really attracted do. me yeah. to Machinima yeah. because 
I was using Machinima with a laptop next to me while I gamed, yeah. you know, or an iPad when I was playing a PC game yeah. and wanted to know how to finish something. So I, you know, in playing multiplayer early on, you learn the basic concepts of networking. So technically I was exposed to technology inadvertently by this curiosity and desire to want to play a game right. and then connect with other players. And you start to, I even built a PC once with, I didn't ground the screws and I yeah. fried the motherboard and, yeah. and you do that stuff once. <clears throat> right. And so I like that concept. I mentioned it earlier of the win loss criteria. You, you do build a muscle of, of learning through failure. Right. Uh, and obviously the good players, you know, have a history of losing. Right. And, and then there's some aspects in online play where you have to be a really strong leader, right. you know, especially in Battlefield and uh, Call of Duty. I've watched my husband's grandson, who eight, was eight when he started playing, even right. though that's against the law. I didn't say that. You <laughs> um, meant eighteen. I, I, eighteen, first, yeah. right? But you know, he's bossing around forty-year-olds yeah. on his squad, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. So I, you know, there's a wonderful Harvard Business Review article on how the CEOs of the future will come out of those environments because we have to deal with remote workforces right. and be influential it's, through It's funny those. you say that because that's where I was going to go next, mm -hmm. which is this. Modern leadership, modern networking requires you to build relationships that are virtual. Right. Uh, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's through commenting in chat room forums, uh, you know, whether it's how well you network on LinkedIn, whether it's how you comport yourself on email. And I have found that I have built really strong relationships online before I ever met the individual. Right. Then you meet them, and in a way that cements your long-term relationship, yeah. and then they're much more than a virtual friend. But some of that must also have come to you through games and gaming. Absolutely, and I think there are, um, you know, there's definitely work that the game industry can do to be more attractive to more girl players, right. you know. Uh, you know, the females, and, and there's lots of commentary online about it. It would be nice to be able to see ourselves more as the hero mm -hmm. character in the game. Uh, well, here's one thing you'd like to know. I just heard on NPR on my drive-in that Thor is going to become a woman. Did you hear that? No, I did not. Thora. So, <laughs> no, they're going to call her Thor. Nice. <laughs> so uh, it was just announced, I think, today in time for um, Comic-Con. Great. And Marvel apparently has never had strong female leaders. And they didn't, well, they said that, so they have Catwoman, well, not Catwoman, uh, what's the one who's on the Avengers? Uh, that Scarlett poison, Johansson poison plays. Poison Ivy. And, uh, I, I, I can't remember yeah, what she's yeah. called, but uh, Black Widow. Black Widow. She's Black Widow. Right. And they were pointing out that they made a Hulk movie and they made an Iron Man movie, but they never made a Black Widow movie. Um, Oh, but, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's important for little girls to yeah, the, what, see what themselves. They, what they were saying is, role. like, if you look at, I guess, DC Comics, they always had Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. uh, so they at least had a strong female sure. superhero, but uh, historically, Marvel hasn't. And so, rather than trying to create one from scratch, what they're going to do is they're going to have Thor lose his power. And he, I guess he's aging, or I don't know, maybe he and gets someone some disease. someone steps in. And he hands off the, whatever, the hammer or whatever it is, um, to a woman who becomes Thor going forward. Oh, that's and they just cool. announced I like it. That. I just heard it on the way in today. And, and I think what their goal is, is because there's so much brand recognition with the character Thor, 
that they thought it was better to transition that to a woman than to try and create a new character from scratch. Right. Uh, yeah, I like that. I, you know, I think probably, though, the most valuable thing about playing video games in general is becoming mission-based. Right. Do you know? And you get that sense of accomplishment. You get constant feedback on how you're doing. Right. So that metaphor, I think, can directly apply to business. And for me personally, the confidence... If I sit around and wait for the confidence to do something, I'm going to sit around doing nothing. Yeah. And so the action gives me the confidence on the other side. It's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I, you know, and it, it starts to build up. Another metaphor that I would give Nanea is that, in a way, you develop you know, a, a term a friend of mine, Dimitri Shapiro, turned me on to pseudonymity, yeah. which is it's not necessarily have to be Nanea Reeves when you're playing Call of Duty. That's a big part of it. It's the and, fantasy of it. And, yeah. and, and also allowing you to be yourself and test how to be yourself and how to interact with other people. Yep. Whereas if you make mistakes on Twitter and, and it's known to be you, it can be fatal, right? right? Like to your career. Right. And so probably some amount of these online, I mean, I know there's a generational thing. I, I look at my parents or my in-laws and they look at me allowing my kids to be on when they were young, whether it's a Club Penguin, whether it's mm -hmm. uh, playing with uh, <clears throat> uh, Minecraft. I look at it very healthy that they're building these online it's relationships. It's not passive. They're not leaning back. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interactive. They're communicating with people, and they're learning to do that in a safe environment. Well, in Minecraft specifically, it gives you the concept of being a maker, that you can For make sure. something. And then sure. you know the toolkit is very similar to a lot of coding toolkits. Yep. So I think it's a gateway to coding. Yeah. We need more people doing it. I love seeing... Uh, have you ever seen Minecraft Dad? He, he played, it, it's, you should look at it. I love seeing families, you know, I have to together. say, just in case my wife watches this, that she actually set up the Minecraft server and she researched how to do it. I love I that. Just because I don't want to take credit for it. <laughs> uh, when it was single player, it was very easy. And then he and his friends, my son's eight, they decided they all wanted to play in the same world together. So my wife was in charge of figuring out how to set up a a Minecraft server. So see, we just talked about all the benefits of playing video games right? as opposed to and all she, the hysteria the media to, goes through. She had through. to learn all that. Right. And I thought that was good. Yeah. It was good that I didn't have to. I'm very proud I've of had, her. I've had a, oh, I'm always proud of my wife. It was, it was, um, it was a um, very busy period of my life, so I was very yeah, grateful for that. That's great. Um, I just want to cover one more topic, sure. and then you know we'll try to bring this to a close. Okay. In talking about leadership, one of the most important thing that leaders of all genders have to deal with is hiring and firing. Right. I want viewers to get your advice on, first of all, how do you source great people? Mm -hmm. How do you screen them during the process? And then third, we'll come on to how do you know when it's time for someone to go and how do you deal with that? So in terms of sourcing, how do you... How do you create, is it just having a recruiter or how do you have a good stable of people? I'm a big believer and you wrote something very recently about, uh, um, you know, have teams who know each other. Sure. And right. so. Getting the band back together. Completely. And there are, you know, there's a data guy that I hired for our company who I love. I think yeah. he's one of the best and just hired a product person who I love. I think she's one of the best. And so you start to build your army. Mm -hmm. You know, your lieutenants, and I think that 
when they're available, bringing them on. Uh, it's definitely, for me at least, it eliminates some of the risk. Right. They're known entities, <clears throat> and so I think that's an important thing, those relationships I treat like gold. Yeah. And I feel that way too yeah. about you know the, the board members that yeah. I've developed no um, relationships with over time. I hope we work Bosses. on five more companies I hope so too. after Next Plus IPOs. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I, I have to stay on my lucky streak right now. Yeah. And but I do think that that to me is the most important. So when I meet people yeah. or I work with people and I identify someone like that, I really start to evolve our relationship and nurture it right. So because I know that I'm going to benefit from it downstream. I always tell people, and especially young people, the advice I give is not to live a transactional life. You absolutely have no idea that you're going to wake up one day and be in your 40s and relationships that you built when you were 23 end up becoming incredibly valuable mm -hmm. if you treat people well, yep. if you view all of this as a multi-game scenario yep. back to video games yep. that you're going to have to play it over, you know, some amount of game theory that you're... You know, it, it's what works in venture it's capital. Part of your team. You, you can't screw other venture capitalists or entrepreneurs because five years from now, no one will work with you, and it kind of self-regulates. Right. But same is true on teams, treating people ethically, and even in hard circumstances. And then you wake up, and you know, you find out that they're either at a company you want to do business development with, or in a role that would be valuable to you, or they join the band again. Right. Exactly. So going to the second part of your question. When you think of the team as a whole or the system, I like to think of it, you know, the company like the system because it's got all these moving parts and gears. If something is not, one of the gears is broken, you really do have to take it out. And you can sprout, you know, in using garden as a metaphor, you plant seedling, but there's a moment where you have to look at which ones are going to thrive right. and take out the weaker ones right. because they'll choke the life out of the healthy ones. Right. And so that helps in the past, and I've been through many difficult, you know, um, cycles throughout many different organizations reorgs. and companies. Yep, reorgs and downsizing and responding to market conditions so you can survive and then re, uh, restart. That has helped me not get too caught up into the people dynamic of it to really right. think what's healthy for the, the whole of, how um, do you know when it's time for someone to go? Well, they'll usually tell you, you know, yeah. in one loud way or another. Yeah. Well, it's and, not necessarily I quit, but you can see the warning signs. Yeah, you can see the warning signs. And uh, for me, it is um, not being a good team player, not being able to have cross-cutting interactions, you know, from one department to another. Um, That's going to build like a cancer. I'm going to give you a sports metaphor. Okay. <clears throat> um, do you follow football at all or You no? know, it's so funny. I read everything by coaches and okay. I know nothing about sports. So oh, I just read Phil Jackson's book. Okay. I quote John Wooden. I don't even know what he did, <laughs> but I love his <laughs> quotes. Uh, he, he, he was a badminton coach. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> um, of course, he was a famous coach of yeah. UCLA Browns. Indeed. Um, my team I support is the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a football team. Right. And we had one of the top wide receivers in the league. His name's Deshaun Jackson. Mm -hmm. and, you know, at home, my boys wear Deshaun Jackson uh, shirts. Um, and they cut him. 
Uh, it was a new coach who came on. It's Chip Kelly. And everything that I've read about why they cut him is because he's not a team player. Right. And he's a brilliant jerk. The right? uh, Exactly. I've, yeah. I'm nothing, I don't know anything about him, but I've heard that term used. I've never heard the term. Engineering. But it probably <laughs> could, could uh, uh, describe him. And the previous coach, Andy Reid, um, was okay to have individual contributors. Chip Kelly, who came on from the University of Oregon, is very much a team coach, and he wants cohesion. And he, I think in his mind, I don't want to put words in his mouth, is having a bad apple lowers the playing field for everybody. Mm -hmm. And even if I have to give up somebody of great talent so that I have this orchestra that works well together, um, it was worth doing. I couldn't agree with you more. And if you have somebody who is maybe not a rock star talent but has a great attitude right. and aptitude, you can turn them into a rock star. And yeah. that contribution will have a ripple effect that's much healthier. The company will see that you nurtured someone yeah. who is well-liked. And that, you know, it just ha it's like compounded interest. And the negativity is the same, too. Um, narcissistically, if anyone's interested in the topic, I've written about this on my blog, Both Sides of the okay. Table. <laughs> if you do a search on Both Sides of the Table for attitude and aptitude, mm -hmm. I have an article about this. I always say, if you're, you know, you have to have someone who's at least a nine out of ten skills wise. Yeah, sure. But if I had a choice between a ten out of ten skills and a six out of ten attitude, or a nine out of ten skills and a ten out of ten attitude, I would always hire attitude over aptitude. Completely. Now, if you can layer in uh, a mature mentor right. to the person with aptitude and attitude, then you're golden. So that's kind of how I look to, or, and I've been focusing that, that strategy directly on the company, you know, that we're talking about. Wonderful. So Nanea Reeves, who <laughs> is the president of Text Plus. Soon uh, to be Next Plus. <laughs> soon to be Next Plus. I slipped because my paper says Text Plus, yep. even though... <laughs> I, I wrote it as Next Plus, and I think I told you my assistant thought it was a typo, so she, she auto-corrected it for me. Um, soon to be Next Plus, focusing on voice, uh, a strong leader of, uh, of product and engineering across many organizations. Uh, real you. pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. It means a lot to me that you asked me. Thank you. Thank you.